Welcome to Faith in Sports with Onside Athletics. I'm your host, Theo Wan. At Onside, we run camps and programs for youth with the purpose of integrating faith, family, and sport. The Faith in Sports with Onside Athletics podcast was launched to give a chance for Christians in the sport world to share their story of faith and sport and to encourage you to live out your faith wherever God has placed you. We would love for you to share this podcast with your family, church, and community. And if you want to learn more about Onside Athletics, you can check us out at onsideathletics.ca and at Onside Athletics on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. All right, so I'm here with Benton Gibbons. He played tight end in the United States at a private Christian school there in Springfield, Missouri called Evangel. And then he also played some semi-pro hockey there with the Huntsville Havoc in the Southern Professional Hockey League. Now... He works as a youth pastor in Guelph, Ontario at Parkview Church. So Benton, lots of cool stuff to talk about today. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. It's an honor to be here and excited to be able to talk faith and sports. Yeah, that's that's the goal of the podcast, of course. So we'll talk first about the sports aspect. So how did you get into the things that you were doing? You played tight end in the United States, obviously had to get recruited somehow and get noticed. So talk about kind of your upbringing with sport and what got you into it? What excited you about playing football, especially at the next level past high school? I'd say it all started with uh, being inspired. My my parents were huge on sports. My dad uh, loved sports and uh, my mom put up with my dad, I guess. But uh, two older brothers who just loved sports, played sports and really led the way for, for me. And so our first love was hockey and just being a Canadian kid growing up. My dad actually started a kid's hockey league for us. He was a pastor in a city and he had a bunch of friends who had kids our age and went, well, we should just start a league together. So they did. So grew up playing hockey, loved hockey, and really started to kind of make it not a career, but more of a passion and working harder at it. Probably uh, grade eight, grade seven, and had some great opportunity and played MD in, in Brantford, Ontario with a lot of different really good players who played professionally and things. But then I hit high school and my brothers were both football players. And so I it was my dream to play high school football. So I kind of gave up playing hockey and started playing high school football. And while I was in high school, both my brothers went to play at McMaster University, one offensive line and one receiver. And so seeing that really made me want to do that. And so I also felt called to pastoring. And so I battled with that all kind of through high school and then finished high school and took a year off and kind of did an internship at a church in Brantford. And I guess just kind of hung around and learned pastoring. But then I really felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm missing something. There's something kind of for lack of better terms, left in the tank. And so I just kind of sent film to schools. I really loved Western University in Ontario and wanted to go there. But I really, my body type and my skills kind of fit with tight end. So I sent film to Evangel University and right away they called me. Long story short, went through the process of getting a visit with them. My parents went and I went down for two days, spent it at the school, did a workout with them. And God really like orchestrated things falling into place. I, I couldn't go without a scholarship financially. Me and my, my family couldn't do that. And I got, you know, the scholarship right away only because I went down for the workout. The workout only happened because... Got open doors. The workout happened in a time period where it was the only hour of the day that it didn't rain that day. So just crazy things like that that got open those doors. And 
uh, went to Evangel University and started out just battling with how to be an athlete and a football player and how to be a Christian. And nonetheless, someone who knew they were somewhat called to pastoring in, in ministry, full-time vocational ministry. And so really battled with that my first year. And I think my whole sporting career in life, and hey, even to today, you battle with identity and being cool. And so going to university, it was in the States and it was a Christian school, but there's also, it was funny when we went on a visit, my dad asked like, you know, what kind of is it like with parties? Is there, and one of the coaches said, well, it's like anything else. You can find parties or anything that you want to anywhere you go. And that was true. My first year, I, I had an awesome year. God did some things in my life, played awesome, did great. I redshirted my first year. And then my second year I went in, I was a second year redshirt because of grades. And grades kind of fell in the second semester of my first year because me kind of walking away from God and just spending time doing things that weren't, shouldn't have been a priority in my life. And I think from God's perspective, he kind of saw where I was going in life. And from my perspective, I thought I had it all together. And I, w I physically was in the best shape of my life. I was playing amazing. And I think in my fourth day of training camp, I was hit in the morning practice and just kind of quote unquote got my bell rung and dealt with that throughout the day and just kind of kept it quiet because that's what you do because you don't want to lose your spot. And so that uh, afternoon practice, I was hit and it was just kind of a routine hit. But when I was hit, I was hit so hard, I was uh, knocked unconscious, unconscious for 21 minutes, I think. Woke up in the hospital or at least I woke up, I might've been awake, but I don't remember anything other than waking up in a cat's game machine in uh, a different country. And so that was God catching my attention. <laughs> So uh, battled with that and, and at Christmas lost my scholarship because I wasn't able to play anymore. And long story short, battled post-concussion syndrome for seven months. And I had bleeding in the brain. I had uh, a seizure in, in January of that year, fell. My brother caught me and spent time with me. And really looking back, it's it's a mom it's moments where God was trying to get my attention. And I just, I just craved being a professional athlete. It's all I wanted in my life. And so went to a youth conference that May. So January went home, battled with post-concussion syndrome. May, I went to a youth conference and just really said to God, okay, like my life's kind of done here. I don't have any desire or anything. And I was battling with suicidal thoughts and a very low place. And I just said, God, if you want me to move on in life, then I need you to heal me. I don't need the pain anymore. And so I actually had two nosebleeds at that conference. Like it was, it was still in pain and went down and someone prayed over me. The speaker came down and prayed over me and, and I was completely healed in that moment. Um, went home that night, actually had two of the worst headaches I've ever had in my life <laughs> on my way home. Uh, and the next morning woke up and I've had never had a headache since. So it was, it was a crazy situation with that, but fast forward the next day, I had got a call about trying to play hockey again. And I was like, I would love to now, especially that I'm healed. People around me, like my parents kind of thought, well, maybe you just call it quits now. I don't know. So long story short, I trained for about a year, six months to a year and trained in Brantford, Ontario with a guy called named Mick Ferris. He kind of took me and said, we're going to now make you a hockey player and went in the fall and um, tried out for the Huntsville Havoc and the morning that I came in and kind of signed my PTO contract, I was like, I just remember sitting in my stall and thinking, I finally signed my professional contract. This is literally all I've ever wanted to do. And I remember sitting there thinking that, and we went out on the ice. And the moment we went out on the ice, I blocked a shot and it hit my kneecap out of place and broke my kneecap as well. So my career was done. And I remember sitting in the hospital with my dad in Huntsville, Alabama, and my dad going, so like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, I'm good to go home. Like, let's, let's get this fixed up and then let's just go. Cause God gave me my pro contract. That's all I wanted to do. And I knew what I needed to do after that. So that's kind of my playing career and how it ended. And yeah. I'm just amazed and, and love 
all the things that you just shared there, Benton. I'm sure there's a lot more and we'll, we'll get into that. But just first off, thank you for sharing your vulnerability. We love that on the podcast, obviously, to allow the audience to get to know you better and to to learn from uh, both triumphs and uh, and trial as well. So in your time in the States, would you say that both in your time in football and then also in hockey, it's probably a little bit of a different culture there with sport as well. Would you say that was a big thing that potentially got you swept up into it as well? Because we love our sports here in Canada, but in the States, potentially in different cities, it's a whole different beast, so to speak, in terms of how they worship and just look at sport, right? Yeah, for sure. And playing two different sports in two different areas, you know, you go to Missouri, it's not a Texas or something like that, but it's a pretty big football state. And going there and being at an NAIA school, the fans like to to walk into that stadium our first game and thinking, wow, this is how many fans come to see us play. Like we're good, but we're not that good. Like I don't understand. And so it was. It's just it. It's their culture there. And in the city of Springfield, Missouri, there's Missouri State. There's other schools in the area too. But being able to play there was like the city really is captivated by not only sports but football. And it was an amazing experience to play there. And then you go to Alabama and hockey in Alabama, like hockey is working in Alabama. They have packed nights and it's a different culture and it's not Canada. It's the South. But at the same time, it was cool to see how much their city was invested in that team too. So it is a different culture and going to play there, that was a huge draw for me as a Canadian kid who grew up watching his brothers play at a pretty big school, McMaster University. And then just dreaming of playing and running out on the field and going to an NAIA school and seeing, well, kind of the whole city is at this game right now. So yeah, really cool experience. Yeah. And, and with all that, like I would say accolades and in terms of praise from fans, was that something that, that would get in your head a little bit? That's something that I'm sure other athletes uh, listening in the audience can understand when people are telling you you're so great coaches are, how did you deal with that as an athlete? Was that something that you struggled with at all? I did. And something that I look back now and I learned a lot from. I wish I could have corrected it when I was in the moment. But I mean, uh, I remember our first one of our first games walking out. I'm a red shirt freshman. I'm on the sidelines with the jersey on. That's it. Like you're just there hanging out, getting ready for next year. And I remember walking and, and signing autographs for kids. That blew my mind. I was like, I probably should practice my autograph a little better and made it better. But uh, like it blew my mind in that sense. And I look back now and think you need to stay grounded and you need to have people and routines and things that you do to stay grounded in God because I didn't have that. And that's one of the things that I really struggled with was not having that groundedness, that, that piece that brought it together. And my family was amazing and there for me, but they were miles away in Canada. And it was kind of my moment to be free. And I dealt with it in the wrong ways. And I think the biggest thing is be grounded and not even in an arrogance way, like a humility thing. Like I think in that way you do as well, but with God, like being like, God, you're my person. Like that's where I find my identity is in God and not in these people and not in these moments. And it's really hard not to get swept away in that. And yeah, if I could go back, that's one of the biggest things that I'd tell myself. For sure. Telling a young uh, Benton Gibbons, right? So, and going down to the States, not just to play one sport, but two, what was it like just being a Canadian, knowing that there probably weren't a lot of Canadians on the team, obviously onside based out of Canada, Guelph, Ontario, and Southern Ontario, for those listening, maybe in a different part of uh, Canada or, or somewhere else. Uh, what was it like being a Canadian down there? Uh, were you treated any differently or, or what was that like? It was a great experience. Like I really enjoyed it. Treated differently some in some ways. It was cool to be like 
hey, what do you think Canada's like? And this is what I see Canada like. And, you know, getting rid of some of their stereotypes. We don't all live in igloos. And uh, we do have bagged milk. And most places in the States do not have bagged milk. But those kind of things were cool. It was a struggle being an international student. It's a struggle with finances, schools. You don't get as many uh, scholarships and things like that because you're an international student. I should say some schools, at least the school that I went to, So it was a struggle in that way. You're also fully removed. You know, if you go a distance away, I guess, a distance away from your province as well in Canada, but being that far away from home really affected me uh, positively. I grew a lot, forced me to move forward in that way of life, but also just the freedom of being away that far away and fully removed from life in Canada was really good. And it also really bad. It was things that I I let go of my life and I wasn't grounded, as I said. So a great experience, though. I loved it. From my experience, both places love Canadians and treat Canadians amazing. I love Missouri. I love Evangel University and and all the coaches I had there. They were great to me. Yeah, and I know uh, with the good news of of what you experienced, I mean, it must have been hard to uh, lose your scholarship, though, right? I mean, so we see in the States where people are praised for their athletic prowess and you see those athletes on scholarship and those things, but we often don't see kind of the other side, which is not necessarily a business side per se, but there is a numbers game and sort of what have you done for me kind of deal, right? And like a business would operate. And so how hard was that to lose your scholarship knowing that it wasn't because you were a bad person or you're not keeping up with your grades per se, but it's just because you can't perform on the field. How hard was that? That was tough. And it was tough to learn the business side in the sense that people still cared about me. They still wanted to try to set me up for success. But when it comes down to it, if you can't play, you can't get a scholarship. And being in that time when my coach, I remember my coach calling me that day and I was packing up because I'm like, it's Christmas break. Am I going to have a scholarship in the new year? Am I not? If I'm not, I can't come back. And and then I remember him calling and saying, hey, I just need to let you know, like, you've got to be out in three days. Move out day for Christmas break. We close down and you're not back next semester with a scholarship. And hearing that over the phone, like, it's heartbreaking. And it is so hard to deal with. And usually when it happens in this situation, it's on top of dealing with an injury. So you're already in pain and feeling useless and feeling like you can't compete and can't do all these different things that you love to do and were created to do. And now you're also losing your scholarship. And so I remember calling my parents and just crying and being like, hey, this is the situation. <laughs> hey, I need to ride home in three days. And also I was like, I, I'm done. Like this is the end. And I remember what the words that my dad said to me and my mom that really stood out was, uh, you can always come home. And if you're a parent watching just or listening, I should say, you really should have the mentality that, hey, you can come home. Because for me, that meant the world that, hey, I'm not succeeding in my sport now and I'm injured and all these different things and I've lost my scholarship for, for a parent to say, yeah, but you know what? You can come home. Let's regroup. Let's figure it out. We'll move forward together. That was huge for me to be able to have that. Those words said to me of you can come home now. And that really mirrors what Jesus says to us, right? To come home and to be with your your heavenly father here, both on earth and in heaven and eternity. And I'm just thinking like prodigal son story, of course. So we always talk about that. And just to be able to hear your parents bringing you in, that that must have felt amazing. And so can you talk a little bit about your recovery as well? We've learned a little bit about concussions in media and people might have a lot of information, not a lot, but from people that I've heard that have had concussions, it could be something that's really debilitating, not just, you know, days or weeks or months, but years. I know people that 
still feel their brain is being squished every day or lights can trigger them as a teacher, for example. So what was your recovery like and how is your brain and your mind doing now uh, many years later? What you said is true. Like there's so much data now. And even that, I don't even know how many years ago that was. It was a while ago. So thinking that like there wasn't as much data then. And it was in the reality, the hardest thing is people can't see or feel what you're going through. If you break an arm, you have a cast on, people see that you have a broken arm. When you've been hit in the head, you really can't see or you're just trying to tell people how you feel. And I struggled with that because when I lost my scholarship, the team doctor now doesn't oversee you anymore. So they give you your paperwork and kind of walk through what you should be doing and help you as much as you can. But then it's kind of a release with that as well. That Then you come back to Canada and I'm at home and trying to find a doctor, trying to explain to the doctor what's happened to me. And so walking through doctors was was tough with that as well. And then I'm trying to recover emotionally and, and spiritually and physically, like all these different avenues. So I'm trying to work out again to say I need to be physically active. That's something that I love to do. And that's actually how my seizure happened. I came back and met a doctor and he just kind of said, you just need to rest and take time. And so I would have migraines that I would lose vision and I would just have to, there's nothing I could do. I just had to lay down and sleep. They would just say, just sleep. So someone would monitor me sleeping and I would sleep for a day, two days. And so then you're, you're in a dark room and you're creating this depression because you're in a dark room all day. Your mind is going a mile a minute, your headache, pain. So then when I started to work out again and just, you know, do light workouts, I remember coming home and I taken, like, I just had caffeine that day and came home. And I remember coming upstairs after a Zoom call and, and um, being like, actually it was Skype then, Zoom, I don't know if it was created then, but it's big now. But I remember coming upstairs and being like to my mom, I'm like, I don't feel good. And she knew that. And I just collapsed in my room. I don't really remember much, but I remember my brother being with me and he said, you just see, like I said, a seizure. The doctors came and they gave me this drug that just completely numbs you and numbs everything and kind of calms everything down, brain, heart, everything. And I remember going home and being like, I am depressed. I know I'm depressed. I'm telling everyone around me I'm depressed. My parents were such an advocate and help in that time. And my brothers as well. I remember my brothers just coming over and doing what guys do, grabbing cheeseburgers and playing video games, but it was spending time with me. But it was such a struggle to be like, I've not only lost everything with my career, but I've lost all these things that I couldn't do. Like I couldn't drive consistently because if I had a migraine, I'd lose vision. And so I couldn't go far. Different things like that it was such a struggle. And people in my life were a huge answer to prayer. Like looking back, people really directed me to God. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't, my relationship with him was so, was so strained at that point because of me. And I heard a quote is by a quarterback, Baron Batch. And he said, I can be 999 steps away from God, or I can feel that way, I should say. And all I need to do is take that one step to go to him. And I didn't take that. And people around me really helped direct me and keep me grounded in that time. But Recovery is tough, and I really, really, really had to push to surround myself with people because that's the key, that they'll see things in you that they can help you and encourage you and be there for you through that time. And uh, now, many years later, of course, uh, I, I love, first of all, that you're able to talk about it because for some people with a, a traumatic or, or very hard experience, they, they may struggle to talk about it. So. First of all, thanks again for being able to share that. And so what's your recovery like now? Um, you work at, at a church there, as I mentioned in the at the top. Um, obviously, lights are happening. There's lots of noises, things happening. How's your recovery now many years later? Is it Are things back to quote-unquote normal, or are there still some things that you might have to, to put in place to really help you with uh, recovery? 
There are things, but I, I think it's just being smart. It's, it's funny because as athletes, we learn so many different things about recovery and our bodies. And, and then you get injured and you go into the workplace and you just want to compete. And you go, well, yeah, but I might need to actually put this in place to help myself physically or mentally. Or And so for me, uh, there has been things I've put into place, but it's really little things saying I've been honest with my boss and been like, hey, I have post-concussion syndrome. And if I have a headache, I need to go and lay down. Uh, I got glasses about a year ago. That's just, well, partially getting old. I'm in my 30s now, so you get old and that happens. But also it's like, you know, my my vision is kind of, it needs correction in that. And that could be attributed to concussions. It could not. I'm also trying really hard not to uh, read too many articles because I don't know what God's done in my brain. You know, he healed me. I believe he heals. I believe he continues to heal. And I have been healed from things. Do I deal with some things? Yeah. But like you said, just being okay with making changes of, you know, having dimmer lights in your office, wearing glasses when I need to, just being cautious of that and being aware that you're not not able to do things. You just got to figure out how to do them differently. Those are great points there, Benton. And last kind of part for this segment about sport. Is it something that you truly miss or are you're kind of at peace with the fact that, you know, your playing career is over and you're now pastoring and working for God in that way? Like, what has that been like for you in terms of identity? We've talked about a little about that earlier. So what's it been like now? I think that's the biggest struggle is uh, when you're when you're done. I don't think you're ever done. I think I like I watch games sometimes and go, man, I could still play or I'll go and play like a men's league pickup hockey or I'll go pl- throw a football around at a park and go, man, I so I miss it. I think I'll forever miss it. I think I'll forever dream of dreams of playing and things like that. But I, I know the reality of me is is done of playing. But I think the big piece is identity. Uh, knowing my identity is found in Christ, knowing my identity. And it's it's crazy because looking back now, the common denominator that never changed in my life was Christ. But I changed and, and my identity was found in different things because I would let it be found in that. And I think when I stopped playing, I really took a step forward uh, to be like, I need to find my identity in Christ. And no matter what I'm doing, who I'm with, where I am, I'm the same person because Christ is my identity and that's where my identity lies is in Christ. I've had to figure that out. I've had to find things that have really made me still compete. Like I still play men's league hockey. Sometimes I try not to get too competitive, but it happens sometimes. You know, I work out, like I try to do things that still keep, they kind of find that thing that uh, allows you to fill that void or that crave in your life. But also make sure you're grounded in the sense of God's my identity, whether I'm a pastor or whether I'm a painter or whether I'm an athlete, God's my identity. And that's the biggest thing that I've really had to learn and I'm still learning. Yeah, I don't think uh, any of us on this side of eternity will fully learn that and understand. And it's a constant battle. And obviously, God also gives us desires in certain ways. And, and so it's great to be able to enjoy those things that he's given to us, like sport, for example. But now as we transition to talking about faith in sport, you've moved on to becoming a pastor. So you went from being an athlete and you've always had a dream of being a pastor and it looks like that has now been fulfilled. So you're able to do that. So maybe talk about your transition into pastoring. What were some things that led into that? What was God doing in your life to be able to lead you into pastoring? 
it was funny because I kind of saw them as two separate things growing up. And so I was like, well, I'll do my playing career. And then after that, I'll kind of follow what God's called me to. And, and they actually line up perfectly together in so many different ways. And competing and doing things with excellence is what God's called us to do. And so as an athlete, I did that. And knowing after, hey, you know what? God has called me to vocationally go into full-time ministry. When I finished hockey months later, I actually met my wife. And so we met and we got engaged, got married. So through that time, I actually worked for an organization called Athletes in Action. Uh, Loved working with them. I worked with them for about a year. Worked at the Toronto campus with a guy named Dwight and he just mentored me. And it's funny, he he played sports. He He was a fun guy, but he didn't actually play like a high level or university football or anything, but he taught me so much about my relationship with God and how that can be incorporated in sports. And so I enjoyed and loved that. And then my wife and I got married. She uh, is a pastor and she was, she was a pastor in Kitchener at the time. And so we said, you know, we're getting married. Let's kind of transition into life together and ministry together. But God has really opened so many doors because I used to play sports. And I always thought it was a separate thing of like, well, now I'm in the pastor role, so I can't talk about sports. We won't do anything. And then someone like Brian Gilmore and learning on-site sports, how it's a bridge to the community and, and in the church and in being able to be a pastor and saying, you know, no, we're going to do this sports camp, kind of relate sports to God, but we just come and play sports and learn how our faith is in that. We, there's been so many opportunities of just meeting athletes and, and being able to talk with them, not necessarily mentor them, but be able to talk to them about God and sports and how you can be an athlete and a Christian, because it is doable. They don't have to be separate worlds. It's not, yeah, it doesn't have to be a separate thing. And with that, with the opportunities you have as a youth pastor and young adult pastor, I'm sure you're going to have athletes that come to you or people who love sports. So, And of course, share only uh, what you can. But what have been some cool opportunities that you've been able to embark on with sharing about your experience with some of those youth that play sports as well? I've actually had a couple of youth who, when I came to Parkview and Guelph, they were in grade nine and just being able to journey with them and finding common ground in sports. And then it was really funny. I remember one night, I can't remember where, we were obviously a fast food restaurant, just hanging out with students. And I remember sitting there with two of them and just kind of not calling them out, but saying, in my life, this is what I went through. And it was exactly what they were going through in that moment. And it wasn't me being, you know, super smart or using my uh, wisdom, or, but it was just me sharing my story. And by sharing my story, they kind of open up to say, well, this is actually where we are right now with our high school basketball team. or our, And having those moments are huge to say, okay, God, I see that you actually used my story to now be able to share it with these students. And and now I'm helping them grow only because I was able to share how God did things in my life. And then it, they were able to relate to that. And so that's that's one way. There's been so many. I'm connected in some churches in, in Western Ontario. And so churches will just kind of call, hey, I have an athlete. And it's really funny because I've had a pastor call one time and say, I have an athlete in my church and, and I don't know what to do. And it's like athletes intimidate pastors and like, I, it's it's so funny to see. So for me, it's an opportunity to say, well, A, they're actually just a person. They're just athletically gifted. And they like, so here's how they work and what their mindset would be. But being able to journey with that with Christian leaders as well, to be able to say, well, athletes are people and you just need to serve them like you'd serve other people. And and also connect with athletes through other pastors. Hey, can you just mentor my student or an athlete in my church? And so being able to do that has been uh, has been really cool to see God open some doors. Yeah, because uh, with athletes, um, something that people that are athletes would understand is it's it's not a commitment just 
you know, the practices, right? Or the games, like there's commitment to watching. If you want to be fully immersed in your sport and be the best or, or be the best version of yourself, you're going to be watching film, you're going to be reading stuff, you're going to be talking about it. And potentially something that some pastors would probably have noticed is that your athlete in your church might be missing church on Sundays because of athletic endeavors and things like that, which you probably understand they're bent in. So is that something that you've had to navigate with pastors as well, just talking about the kind of demands that is on an athlete, not just at the practices, but kind of day to day, the diet, everything. Yeah, big time. And and the demand of pastors, not necessarily at my church I'm at now, but pastors I've talked to from other cities and kind of that frustration of, well, they don't come to this or they're not at this. And and I really, I actually learned this working with athletes in action, just seeing Dwight with athletes and being like, no, no, we're going to do a devotional before the game. Then we're going to leave them alone. We'll just be present. We'll be around. We'll be there because athletes have an outrageous schedule who are like student athletes. Just it's mind blowing what they do. And so when they're involved in your ministries, you want to reach them, help them grow and assist them and be there for them in their journey. But you don't want to add to that schedule. And so I really learned that of a text message, uh, a devotional, sending it to them. Hey, do this on your own time. But here's a devotional we can kind of go through together. Like that has been huge as opposed to even on a parent's level. Parents, sometimes it's add this, add this, add this. And it's like, well, your student or your kid is already in so many different things. But don't remove God or remove church or remove Christian leaders or mentors in their lives, but figure out how it fits because it does fit. And even in a crazy busy season, there's five minutes here or there, but we don't need to load on and add to things, especially in a time like this with COVID. So many different things. That last thing students want is another Zoom call with me at the other end, telling them and preaching to them and being their whole day. You just want to be there for them and journey with them and add to their life, but not necessarily their schedule. And it's a struggle. It is a struggle because I do see it and they're like, oh, I'm not being able to see them. They're not at church. They're not at this. But in reality, it, we're there to, to serve them as Christian leaders and uh, and as parents too. And so not trying to add more to their life in the sense of schedule, but really just trying to be there for them, journeying with people. And you touched on a great point there, Benton. The thing I think about when you said that was kind of removing barriers. It's easy for an athlete who is kind of maybe, I don't want to use the word wishy-washy, but kind of maybe in the middle, they're not really sure where their faith fits. And by having them add multiple faith-based things exclusively onto their schedule, they might actually just not want to do that at all because of that. So then it becomes a real barrier. Would you say that's true as well? Like you want to remove those barriers and make it easier rather than make it harder for them. And by being present, just at a game or whatever that looks like, you're allowing access. Yeah, for sure. And my, my dad told me that he was a pastor when I was growing up and being okay with me playing on Sunday, which like back then I was born in 1990, that was a huge thing. Like, oh, Sunday, you can't do that. And my dad saying, well, you can, but you're not going to miss church. And that reality that like, oh, just because I play at 10 a.m. on Sunday, I'm missing Sunday service. Well, now we have so many things online that you can be like, well, we're going to go to church online after, or there's a second service. Let's try to hit that and be there for that. So still getting that, but not, not making it. I found if when I was a kid, if my parents had removed sports because of church, it would have really taken away 
that fact, well, I have to go to church because my parents are making me, I can't play on this team because my parents are making me go to church. And I believe in the priority of making church a priority, making God a priority, but it doesn't always have to be how we see it in, in our culture and in our world. It doesn't have to be 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. You have to be at this location, at this place, at this time, or else you're not really experiencing God. And finding those other ways that it fits in your schedule, you show that your kid or, or your student or is, is an actual priority is God in their lives, they'll fit it in. And then when they become an adult, they'll figure out how to fit it in their schedule. When they've got a game or a practice or they're traveling on Sunday morning, they'll figure out how it becomes a priority because their whole life it's been a priority and it hasn't had to compete with sports. Yeah, you touched on a couple of things there, Benton. One that word I can think of when you said that is resentment. You could potentially be having a child, especially when they're forming their ideas of faith, they're forming their opinions of the world as those who are listening who have children or high school aged uh, youth, they would definitely understand this. They're forming their opinions of the world. And one of the things that could come up is resentment. Yeah, for sure. I and I look back and I never had resentment. I I you know, like I said, I battled with my identity and being cool and doing this doing the lifestyle of an athlete and all these different things, but I never battled with resentment of my parents or church or God. And I think that was because my parents were very strategic to say that it never competed with church. Sports and church were different and faith and church weren't separate, but they were different. You you still had a faith in God if you played on a Sunday morning, as I said. And that was the biggest thing is learning that God is a priority, whether you're on the field or off the field. And, and also keeping me accountable to say when I act a certain way or when I do something a certain way on the field or on the rink, I, it, you're still a Christian. Like you're still a person. You're the same person on and off. So how are you acting? And just kind of bridging that of they shouldn't be separate things. They should be the same. You're a Christian, whether you're on the ice or not, really taught me a lot of things and took away the resentment because I didn't resent church because, no, it was just a thing, something that built me up as a Christian and helped me grow. And people mentored me and challenged me, but it wasn't a competition between sports and church. And the other thing to note with what you just said is this idea of church, as it says in the scriptures, is not just a physical building or or just a, a, you know, church is only at 10 a.m. on Sundays. It's the church is the body of Jesus. And so that's probably something that you've been able to share as well, right? With people who might have uh, differing views, let's say. Yeah, for sure. And having those conversations of not, like, it's hard to navigate with parents and then also like other pastors and put into perspective, making God a priority, not necessarily the church. Like church is a priority for sure. But Sunday morning, 10 a.m. doesn't always have to be a priority. It's, it's making God the priority. And having those conversations with people is tough to navigate. And I'm not always right. I've had people say things that have really changed my view too. But yeah, having that conversation that makes God the priority is, is big. Yeah, Benton, we're going to wrap up with a few other questions here. Some more uh, practical advice there for parents or, or students listening there. If a student is on a team, they love the Lord and, and they've made God a priority, made Jesus a priority, as you have mentioned uh, throughout this interview, but they struggle to share how Jesus impacted their life or they're afraid, right? Maybe some of their teammates make fun of them or things like that. What's some advice you would give, uh, just like you would give uh, advice to your youth there, What's some advice you would give for them to share their faith uh, with their friends or, or how to live their faith out practically? Yeah, I'd say number one would be step out. Like, don't be afraid to to have those conversations and don't be afraid to say the wrong thing. Uh, sometimes Christians, like we, like I get so, oh, well, did I say the wrong thing? Did I describe that incorrectly? 
that's okay. You're not trying to sell them a pair of shoes that you lied about. You're trying to tell them who God is to you. And you can have questions. You can think about it and say, I'll get back to you. Or, you know what? I said this incorrectly. I need to explain this better. Or don't be afraid to step out and don't be afraid to to say the wrong thing. And and also actions speak louder than words. Uh, One of the biggest things that I struggled with was my actions as a Christian and also as an athlete. And living a a God-honoring life on the field, off the field, at the the rookie parties, at wherever you are, is huge. And that is, to me, a biggest testament. One of my brothers goes back to university and his friends see him as the Christian. And that, to me, is a testimony to me as a younger brother to say, my brother Todd wasn't perfect, believe it or not, but he honored God in his sport and honored God in those moments. And that to me is like, if I could go back and tell myself, that's what I would say is honor God, whether you're off the field or on the field, you got to figure out your best ways to honor God. It's related to to what you said about testimony and, and testifying about what God has done and sort of you could talk about God to your teammates or whoever, but if you're not living it, living out it out in a certain way, then it becomes almost like contradictory in some ways where they're like, okay, this person acts just like us and does all the same things and but yet they claim to be something else that would be a bit of a a thing to look out for as well right oh for sure and i think you lose your credibility when you do that i think you lose your credibility as a teammate and as a friend when you act that way of well i believe a b c d but i do a b c d that they contradict each other i think even a credibility and trust as a friend and a teammate you lose that because you're not living up to who you say you are and you're not living up to what you say you believe. So it's so important to have integrity the best we can. And we're not perfect, but having that and trying to uphold that and be clear that this is what I believe and this is why I do what I do is huge. And last question here for any parents that may be listening, they have their kids in competitive athletics and they're trying to navigate how to help their child best with identity and putting God first in their sport. What would you say to that to kind of wrap up uh, the episode here with some more practical advice? Yeah, I, I think as a parent, try to bring them back to God and try to say, well, God opened a door for your opportunity for this team, for this tryout or something like that, and, and have those conversations. Try to keep them in God's word. Do a devotional every morning while we're on the way to the rink. Well, do a devotional in the car, like whatever you can do to that capacity. And then put leaders, Christian leaders and people in their lives. Find a youth pastor in the area you are. Find somebody like uh, everyone who works for Onside, who's like, hey, you you believe in sports. You're, you're a, a good uh, mentor in that way, but you can also help my, my student or kid grow. And so I would say that find people who can not only just challenge your kid, or but can just love on them and, and show them a way or the way and, and help them grow in their spiritual walk as well. Yeah, I love the advice there, Benton, and we just appreciate your time sharing your story. Like we talked about this off-air, we could have gone on for four hours about your story and what God has done and and some miraculous things that have happened, but I'm glad to hear that things are a lot better for you uh, with your health and and being able to now be used by God in in plentiful of ways, as you mentioned. And so, Benton, yeah, we'll we'll be praying for you here at Onside and appreciate all that you've done and all that God's continuing to do through you. So, Benton... Thanks for coming in on the podcast there. Yeah, we appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. And you guys are doing amazing things. Love listening to this. So thanks for having me on. It's an honor. Our next episode features Elodie Leuk Lowe, a former Olympian who represented Mauritius in the sport of beach volleyball at the 2012 London Summer Olympic Games. 
She's also the chaplain of the Trinity Western University Spartans women's volleyball team and a former assistant coach of the University of Toronto women's volleyball team. During the interview, Elodie gives an honest look into how her Olympic experience went, challenges with identity, and she reflects on mentoring and coaching university athletes. If you want to connect with Onside Athletics, you can find us at onsideathletics.ca and at Onside Athletics on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. May we continue to glorify God in everything we do.